All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. That's right, that's it's right. It's going to be us. We can drink and talk shit as much as we want. Nobody can say anything to us. D.L. Hughley, uncut. Welcome, welcome, welcome to D.L. Hughley Uncut. I am, of course, I'm D.L. Hughley. I am Jasmine Sanders. What up, everybody? It's Kyle Hughley, a.k.a. Special K. There it is. Uh, it's very interesting, a very interesting. So, so I guess it's Black History Month, and the NAACP was created uh, in 1909, so that's a black history fact. I didn't get that in school because I didn't go to school, but our... I'm glad you said it. A white guy had to tell me it. that. <laughs> 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 he goes, here's something your people would find interesting, did you know? The NAACP. <laughs> your darkie's nice. gonna love this fact, let me tell you this. Um, a lot of stuff is going on. I guess the, uh, the, the impeachment trial, uh, his second impeachment on yes. Donald Trump. Number mm. two. So he'd been, he, it, like, it, the first one, uh, first impe- he was first impeached last year. Mm. And now, he in February of last year, now he's impeached again. So his second impeachment came out faster than a fucking Avenger movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that it's happening in February. Yeah, Black absolutely. Uh, right, right, right. I like right, it. Right, right. I like this plot twist better, too. <laughs> and it's very interesting because the argument seems to be that you can't hold a president responsible for a crime he committed while he's in office after he's out of office. Which so that would no give sense. that would be unprecedented. So that means the president's in the last two weeks could break all kind of laws. Uh it, it's really a simple thing. Either you love the constitution like you and you're going to uphold it or you do not. Correct. Uh, right. Or all this patriotism that you've been talking about, right. right, for years and how important it is to you. Think about how people feel about the flag. But yeah. look at what they did with the flag. They tore it down and put right. up a Trump flag, yeah. right? And, and meanwhile, if you put if the flag in any particular situation that most people don't like, they will persecute you right. to the fullest. And then they, t- they shit all over the, the Capitol floor, which uh, black people have been upset about a lot. We have, like, we've had any number of things. But we never went, you know, don't just, no peace. We never done that. <laughs> no. It's, and the whole thing is based on a lie that the system, that the, elect, the election was somehow rigged, that people in Philadelphia and Atlanta and, 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 and Detroit somehow rigged the system like a bunch of black people. And usually when something is nigger rigged, it don't work. Like they, like, <laughs> well, temporarily it works, but not for long. Usually you, you know, messed up a perfectly good stereotype. <laughs> but what's interesting, too, though, is the reason uh, his first team of lawyers quit was because he wanted them to focus on the fact that the election was rigged. And right. they were like, you know, we're not going to win with that. No. We got to go with something Well, I, else. I think that the, he's counting on the one thing that he was able to count on last time, the cowardice of, because I don't think that there are 17 decent human beings on the Republican side right now. No. I think that they're, they're cowards, and he's counting on their cowardice. So I think that, you know, if you're on the Republican side and you're voting to uh, acquit after all that you've seen, instead of holding your hand over your heart to take an oath, put it over your nuts because that's what you're trying to protect. That would be, that would be, holla. <laughs> that would be better. Well, let me ask you something since we're sure. talking about cowards and whatnot. Sure. Not that I'm calling this person a coward. Sure. I want to be clear about that. I mean, I kind of am. Sure. But what's up with your boy Van Jones? He's not my boy. I can't stand him. He is a coward. What's going on with him? He's a shoe booty ass Negro. So he, he really says is. that he, you know, of course he was on The View and Sonny Houston. Yeah. She took it to him. Yeah. And he says, I feel like I was um, bombarded and railroaded. He felt like he was ambushed. And I was ambushed. Well, now you know what it's like to be a black person. <laughs> it's that, that's pretty much, like anytime you and McCain, you and Megan McCain are going to do a film on unity. And the, the divisiveness in this know. country is a really simple thing. It has come about because there are people who believe that they should be entitled uh, to all the rights of an American citizen. And there are people who don't believe that they should. 
That's mm-hmm. really the divisive uh, argument that we're having right now. And I think Van Jones has done some tremendously good things, but he's self-serving and he's a chameleon. Uh, him, he cried over when Donald Trump gave a speech. He cried when Joe Biden gave a speech. This nigga's going to be dehydrated by the next administration. <laughs> but you I don't know, feel my, bad for him. My biggest issue with that is I remember I called you when I saw him cry, and right. I was so angry because I felt we rarely get to see black men cry, right? right. Generally, when you see uh, images of black men, they're not crying. They're either angry or, you know, somebody's making up right. something about them. Right. And when we do see one cry on a national platform, it's him crying over Trump. I just think that if you look at like, what happened at Benedict College when he— uh, spearheaded the group that was going to give him, uh, you know, a bipartisan award. Oh, yeah. And he, he didn't let any of the people. It was an HBCU, but he didn't let any of the students attend. Mm. And then he got he yeah. derided Kamala, Kamala Harris for not staying there mm-hmm. and, had, and, and refusing to be a do- doormat for him. It's interesting because if Kamala had taken Van's advice and lit his example, she wouldn't be vice president Absolutely right now. Absolutely not. She Absolutely would, she, not. Listening to that shoe booty ass nigga will get you out of a job. Well, quick. he says he, he stands by everything he's ever said of and done. He, he says he's done more for most people in terms of, of prison reform and all of that. And well, I, 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 think mean, that, I think that he's drunk. Listen, I, there is no disputing the fact that Van Jones was integral in doing a lot of things uh, for people, for, for, for prison reform. He didn't have to swing from Trump's nuts to do it. He wow. didn't have to do that. He didn't act like that. He didn't have to shine Obama shoes to, you know, it, it, it was this thing. He he was gleefully taking pictures with Jared Kushner and, 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 uh, Candace, and Owens. Candace Owens and people like that. Yeah. That wasn't, that was, that was opportunism. And people called you out on it and yeah. be a man and live with it. Yeah. You ain't the first person to get ambushed. He was waiting to do that. So I sure. just, but I don't, I don't think he was ambushed. I think I get it. He was there to talk about, you know, one thing, but listen. There's no way he could have come on that show and Sonny not ask him or presented him with the fact that black people don't trust you anymore, why, why, man. Why, why are you bullshitting? They don't even fuck with Megan McCain. They don't even that fuck with part. her. <laughs> like, they literally don't fuck with her. Right. I remember Megan McCain right after the riots. Well, look at look at what they're doing to our city. And one of our one of her neighbors came out and said, "I walked outside. There's nothing wrong in front of here." <laughs> so she in essence became Karen. I just think that there when you, you you have to look at consider the source. And if that's who you're teaming up with to edify yeah. your position to to re-edify your position with Black America, you could understand why it didn't go well. Yeah. Um, uh, this uh, country musician uh, Morgan Whalen. Um, um, you know, he said nigga. Oh, said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. First off, uh, he said nigga, and it, then they, they took him off the, uh, the, the uh, they took radio him off country stations. music, radio station. Yeah. And, but uh, ironically, Spotify, he has the number one show that. on hip hop station. See, like he, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, and they took him off all of that. And his record sales still soared. They quadrupled. You know? They went from like 5,000 to 22,000 in I just, sales. I think that it's ironic that we make these placatory gestures uh, at, that, that really don't solve anything. Um, his you you can't his fans are still behind him, so he said nigga in his record so so that 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 just proves niggas are good for business yeah, yeah. so racism sells but I I just like when they I just like uh, when they try to use that moral equivalency like well how come they get to say like they always blame the word nigga on hip hop like they say uh, nigga in hip hop all the time well n- hip niggas been the American lexicon since the seventeen hundred and hip hop been around since nineteen seventy five what came first nigga or the Sugar Hill guy. <laughs> <laughs> like Mark Twain or Grandmaster right. Flash. <laughs> but I think they do believe they have the, the right it's to say the word. But my, this is how I feel about it. To me, and you you actually made this, uh, uh, I guess, example. And that is the N-word, no, hurts us more than the word nigga. Right. 
No, like, you, you can't can have that job. That. No, you can't. Right. Yeah, right. So you can't have this loan. You can't. You can't have the same education as my children. You can't have the same opportunities. So it, I mean, they, they, they. I remember when they took uh, Mark Twain said nigga a bunch of times in Time Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, and they replaced that word with slave. And I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be a nigga than a slave. Like if you call me a nigga, I could be assaulted, but I go to my house. You call me a slave, I gotta go with you. Like it's, <laughs> but it's 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 interesting because we are now in a position where they try to pretend like they they're making these gains. This, this do I I don't I don't fault somebody for having a, a, a divergent thought from the group. I, I think that it, particularly when you're at home, you should be able to say whatever the fuck you want to say. Well, he hadn't gotten home yet. But he, he was, was still on in his the, way. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> he was where he was, way. he could shoot somebody for being on his property and not go to jail. Mm, yeah. <laughs> he could. He should have waited until he got in the house, though. Right. On the porch. Right. Yeah. So something. It just, just in a word to the wise. If you're gonna say it, say nigga, say it from your porch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the holidays have been over, and that means we're all out of excuses, which means it is time to get back to the workout grind. And that means spring essentials from Mack Weldon. The first thing I did was order my Mack Weldon Stealth Boxer Briefs. They have the body mapping technology and fabric mesh zones that give me the best breathability and support. These things are just great. Now, Mack Weldon will refund your money and let you keep them if you don't love them. Then I got my Ace Line sweatpants. They're great for workouts and for around town when you want to feel comfortable, but you don't want to look like you're wearing sweats. Man, I love those things. This is the stuff you need to get going with your New Year's resolutions. So for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash uncut and enter promo code uncut. That is MacWeldon.com slash uncut. Promo code uncut for 20% off. Mac Weldon is reinventing men's basics. Welcome back to DL Uncut. Our next guest is a legendary civil rights attorney in Alabama, representing and working with icons like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks. Please welcome Fred Gray. How are you? Hi, Mr. Gray. <laughs> now I gotta clear something up. Well, first off, I know you're a man of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. It's nice to see you. How are you, Fred? You all right? I'm fine. How many friends are you? I, I, I'm wonderful. You cannot be 90 years old. You can't be. He's like, well, well, <laughs> well he, didn't, he didn't hear me, so obviously he's <laughs> like, am I not yet? <laughs> so, so it's interesting because. You have been uh, through a lot of stages in this country and, and from a community standpoint and in this country's uh, development. Is, is Alabama and what's going on now, is this uh, closer to you, which you, which you remember uh, times being, or, or further away? Well, it isn't any closer. Uh, we made some progress, but uh, we have a long way to go to be where we need to go. But we are headed in the right direction at least we were at one one time. Right. So when when you say we were at one time, what's changed? Well, I don't know. We've had a change in administrations, and each administration who comes in changes. And of course, the last administration uh, was not one that continued the progress which had been being made 
in the field of human and civil rights. When when I hear people talk about we are a divided nation, I I you know, and obviously uh, I have a different uh, we're, we're, we have, have traversed different times, but I think consistently uh, it seems to be a battle between people who want the full rights of, uh, that that are for that should be afforded them by uh, the Constitution and people who don't want them to have it. If that's I think that that is kind of the fight. The fight is. Are we going to be treated like full citizens, or are we not? Or in that way, that's not division. That's not division. That's that. Those. That's it has been that's same, untenable to me. It is the same fight we had since slaves were brought here in what was it, sixteen oh seven? Right. Uh, they were slaves, and there was slave ownership. They didn't want to be slaves, so they began to do some things toward it. So finally you had uh, Emancipation Proclamation, and then you had Reconstruction, then you had what's called the beginning of the Civil Rights Movement, but there was a lot of things that were being done in between that time. Mm-hmm. And you have where we are now. All black lives mean something. Right. right. Yes. But, Do you think... Um... That the things you fought for, and and have, have even to this day have fought for, um, they are because what would you say the most consistent thing you fought for? I should say. Well, if we start at the beginning, my beginning really was with the Montgomery bus boycott, right? In right. But for me, it started before. It started when I was a student at Alabama, what was then Alabama State College, now Alabama State University in Montgomery. When I lived on the west side of town, Alabama State is on the east side of town. I had to use the public transportation system and found out people were being mistreated. One man had been killed as a result of an altercation on the buses. And I made a private commitment that I kept for about 40 years. And that is, I was going to finish Alabama State. I was going to go to somebody's law school because they told me lawyers uh, help people to solve problems. And I felt we had a problem with buses in Montgomery. Right. Right. And when everything was completely segregated, and I decided. I was going to become a lawyer, not even apply to the University of Alabama because I knew they wouldn't accept me, finish law school, come back to Alabama, take the bar exam, become a lawyer, and destroy everything segregated I could find. (laughs) (laughs) To that end, you did a remarkable job, a remarkable job. You had a lot of success uh, desegregating a lot of institutions in Alabama. You also were integral, the Tuskegee experiment, which kind of mirrors what's happening now. I think that there, we, we, we have a pandemic that is running rampant, particularly in our communities. Um, and, and there is a lot of mistrust with, with the vaccine. Primarily, uh, the first things you hear is because the first time, last time we were first in line for medical treatment, it was if the line formed in Tuskegee. So there's a lot of mistrust. Um, does that mirror uh, what you saw back th- today's, uh, like our, our, people's mindset about vaccines and about the, you know, the, the, the medicine in general, does it mirror the fear and trepidation you saw back then? No, it does not. I don't think there's any similarity between what happened to the 623 men that I represented in the Tuskegee Sisters study and 
the virus that is going on now and the vaccine, which has been designed for the purpose of trying to prevent persons from obtaining or getting a deadly disease. Mm -hmm. So I see no similarity between the two. The federal government was the ones who actually financed the Tuskegee Syphilis study. It was employers of the federal government who caused those things. Now, Coach President Clinton admitted that the government was absolutely wrong, that what was done was, was wrong to them. On the other hand, you have a deadly disease, the virus, that I don't, be, I don't believe even started in this country. Our federal government, while it does some bad things, it didn't start the virus. And neither did it start, as I understand it, the, uh, the vaccine that has come about. The vaccine was designed by others, and medical people have proved it to be uh, 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 about 89% or 90-some percent, one of them effective. So there is no difference unless you're going to say because both of them are in the healthcare fields is like apples and oranges. Right. They're both fruits, right. but they're not the same. Mm -hmm. So I don't mm -hmm. think those persons who don't want to take the virus for whatever reason, uh, that's fine. But I don't think they should put that on the test because of what happened in the Tuskegee Sisley study. They're simply not the same. There's no similarity between them. And as the lawyer for those men, I have taken the first shot. And next Monday, I'll take the second. And if I had any reservation about whether or not it was good or whether it was bad, I would say I have no reason not to. And I'm not defending what the government did in the Tuskegee syphilis study. As a matter of fact, I sued them. They were wrong, but they're not responsible for the virus and not responsible for the vaccine, and people shouldn't use that as an excuse. They need to take the vaccine. It may save their lives. And, and yet they do. I think yeah. that there is a... There's, there certainly is a lot of mistrust between uh, people of our community and, and the medical profession. And, and to your point, it, there, there, there are no similarities, uh, but there is the, no similarities between these two things. Right. right. Now, there is plenty of room for distrust. Right. And there's plenty of room for distrust, even with respect to the Tuskegee syphilis study, but not to the extent where you would end up deciding not to take a a vaccine that may cause, may save your life. Right. Well, that's the unfortunate thing because people are using that Absolutely. as an excuse as to why they should not because they're really pushing this thing that we can't trust the government because look at what happened during the Tuskegee uh, experiment. And they're using that as a reason to say this is why we shouldn't trust them. This is why we can't take the vaccine. And unfortunately, our community is going to suffer tremendously if we don't take the vaccine. That is correct. You're absolutely right. And uh, if they don't want to take it, just don't take it. But don't say it's because of the Tuskegee Sisley study. It did a lot of bad things. And I pointed those things out to the federal government. But don't say that's the reason 
you're not taking this vaccine that might save your life. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so important to have you on because you were actually there. I mean, you're not speaking from... You, you have expertise. You have had a continuum of experiences that leads perfectly to this conversation. Um, I think that one of the things that needs to happen, I think, in order for us to be a nation that kind of moves forward, is that there, there, there does need to be trust. There does need to be this idea that because I know for me, it is one of the rare times where I've seen the government at least pretend to be concerned about the fortunes of black and brown people, to pretend like we had to make an outreach to communities of color because it was it was so devastating to those communities. And so and I think that therein lies the distrust because there has never been or at least not a, a lot of times in history where that kind of dynamic is taking place where they've gone. We're going to deliberately make an outreach because this this this. Well, first off, we've never seen a disease like this, but this has been so devastating that people of color that we feel responsible for making our outreach to those the, those communities. Well, I, I don't know that that has ever happened before, which would be a shame. Well, I was very happy to see our new president as one of the first, uh, 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 not Mac, one of the first uh, resolutions that he signed was one dealing with improving relationships and the equality and equity between the races. He's recognized it. And one thing I always say, there are two major problems still confronting this nation. And one is racism, and two is inequality. And they are the same problems that we had at slavery. We've been working on them, chipping away at them, but this nation has never raised up to the problem of it. And to see and hear the president say, and what I've been saying in all of my speeches is that we have to, one, acknowledge that we have a problem. If we don't acknowledge we have a problem, we won't solve it. And racism is a problem and inequality is a problem. Once we find it, then the people at the top needs to say it's a problem. Right. From the White House to the Congress to the Supreme Court to the heads of our CEOs and our educational institutions all need to say racism and inequality is wrong. Mm -hmm. But just to say it isn't enough. Mm. We've got to come up with a plan. What we did in the Montgomery bus boycott, when we found out that we, when we recognized that we had a problem, we came up with our plan. Our plan was twofold. One, we're going to file a lawsuit to have these ordinances and statutes declared unconstitutional. And two, we're going to stay off of the buses until we can do so on a non-discriminatory basis. And the black people did it for 283 days and gave rise to the rise of a new leader, Martin Luther King, who nobody had heard about before that time. So then, once we come up with a plan, we have to implement the plan. And those are the things that needs to be done. We need to recognize that racism and inequality is wrong. We need to come up with a plan to solve it, and it's going to take all of us. All of us would like for all these plans to be the uh, problems to be solved, but while it has to start at the top, it's going to take every one of us to work hard to do away with inequality and racism. You know, it was, you know it's very interesting because you literally have, you, you, if we're talking about our history in this nation, you've been there for a pretty significant part of it. And what is interesting to me is, 
um, even the challenges you faced, uh, certainly with Martin Luther King and, and then with Rosa Parks, you represented her. It's interesting now to see people who are so against equality and so against uh, uh, solving some of the problems co-opt their words. Like, I, I'll hear people who use the speeches of Martin Luther King in a way that he would never have used them. <laughs> or, or they'll bring up uh, Rosa Parks for a fight she wouldn't have ever had. And so what they've done is co-opted, uh, you know, th- I think that a lot of people have been so devoid of a struggle that they have co-opted people who kind of, who, 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 who represent it. So it's got to be something for you to see people um, use the words of Martin Luther King and, and, and bastardize them in, in, in their action. That's got to be tougher to see. Well, uh, I understand and... Uh... People have to understand that racism and inequality is so ingrained into our culture that while we've been chipping away off of it ever since slavery, it still is engraved and we still have to continue to have plans and we have to change our plans and change our strategies in order to make it work. But it takes hard work. And it's not easy. Yeah. Because I often wonder how how we can, uh, in the face of the same racism, right, from years ago, is it possible for us to come together and do what they did during the boycotts? Could we actually work together? I know I always think back to when uh, the whole Colin Kaepernick uh, thing happened and we talked about we were going to boycott and we were going to work collectively together to make our voices be heard. And then slowly, not even a weekend, we just kind of backed off. And I often wonder, could we ever duplicate that kind of unity that we did, you know, way back when in order to bring about some of the changes that that we we were able to see? Well, what we're going to have to do, and this falls down to being on an individual matter. And I tell people all the time, they want me to tell them what to do in order to solve these problems. And you know what I tell them? I said, nobody told me when I was a teenager to decide to go to law school, become a lawyer, and to come back and destroy everything, segregate it, I could find. But once I decided that, there was a lot of people who helped me to do it along the way. Once they didn't know what all of I, all they knew is I just wanted to be a lawyer. I never told them about the kind, because if I had, somebody would have put some stumbling blocks in the way, and I never would have done it. So I said to the young people who are out there now doing whatever you're doing, you have a lot more opportunities than I had. Don't ask me to tell you what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Think about it. Work together. Strategize. Don't go out there by yourself and try to do it on your own. Right. Because if you do that, you're going to be defeated. But talk to some other people, and you'll find that there's some other people who feel just like you do. And you're going to find some who don't feel like you do. Right. But you'll find enough to come up with a plan and before you know it, guess what? You may start a movement. You know, Mr. Gray, you, you give me, I'm, I'm a very, I'm very cynical by nature, but I will say this. Um, after you have seen a lot of things and you still have a lot of hope um, and, and, and a lot of optimism uh, and, and, and even despite all the things you've seen, out of all of that, what is it that gives you the most hope? What are you most hardened by? Well... I was very encouraged from the beginning 
when we were able to get 40,000 people to stay off of the vaccine. Then I was encouraged by each one of the movements which have come into being, whether it's the sit-ins of the uh, Freedom Rise, uh, the Freedom Walks, or whatever it is, came into being to see that these people said, well, if those black folk in Alabama, and that's not supposed to be one of the best states, could end up staying off of the buses for 382 days to solve their problem, then whatever our problems are, and we have different kinds of problems in different communities, many of which, if the underlying reason is racism and, and inequality, but there are other problems that you have every day. And you talk with people, work with people, come up with a plan and solve them. Don't ask me how, because I'm not going to try to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much Mr. Gray. Appreciate it. Thank you so it. much. Thank you. Thank you for helping us, but not helping us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We have a very interesting history museum in Tuskegee, the Tuskegee Human and Civil Rights Multicultural Center. You need to come and see it because it shows what has happened to our people from slavery time forward. And it also show how the three ethnic groups, Native Americans, Americans of European descent, and Americans of African descent, all work together. And then it shows the whole history of the men in the Tuskegee Syphilis study under one roof. Come visit us in Tuskegee. We will indeed. We will indeed. I'll take you up on that. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gray. Thank you for spending time. <laughs>